This morning we look at James chapter 3. James chapter 3. We'll be looking at the entire chapter this morning. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we, will, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they will obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilots directs it. So the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a word of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, straining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth both the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast or be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle and open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. May the Lord bless his word today in our hearts and in our hearing. All right, let's take a look at James chapter 3, James chapter 3 this morning. Uh, the truth is, is that we've been wrong about some things. You ever find that out, that you've been wrong about some things? Uh, we, we were wrong about the moon being made of cheese. We, we, we found out that that, that wasn't really uh, the case. Uh, we have been wrong uh, because leading cardiologists tell us that there is such a thing as too much bacon. Uh, that, that if that's your, your primary diet, that's, that's not actually good. There can be too much bacon uh, inside of your life. And, and then we've also learned that that device that you watched advertised at, at 11.30 at night on TV, that, that you know that if I were to buy that, I would use that every single day. Well, unless we count hanging laundry on it, uh, you may have been wrong uh, about that. So we're wrong about some things sometimes. But, but I think that maybe we're rarely as wrong is when we, think, when we say things such as, 
Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. When, when we say things, well, don't pay any attention to that. It's, they didn't mean what they said. Well, when we say uh, things like, oh, it doesn't really matter, those are just words. I think we're wrong about that. I think you and I have experienced that inside of our own life, uh, the discovery that says, listen, it is not just words. Those words can have an, an immense impact on our lives. And so James has been working through a teaching time in the life of the church that we get to benefit from uh, this morning. And in his teaching time, he has said, listen, count it all joy when you struggle and suffer with difficult things. He has said, listen, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. He challenges us and says, listen, don't be people who just talk a good game without actually doing anything about it. But this morning in the passage, he zeroes in on the question and the reality that says, our words matter. The words that we say have an immense impact. He's going to focus on this question about words. And as we read this passage, and we read it just a few moments ago, I'm sure that you were able to nod your head in agreement in a lot of ways. You were able to read this and say, oh, that's true. Boy, that's true. And that's one of the things that is a gift about James is that he's so practical. And the words that he gives to us are so applicable. They are so right there that we can apply into our lives. But I want you to know that as much as James is practical, James is also spiritual. Because he's not just giving us self-help guidelines. He's not just giving us, here's a better way to live your life. He is going to give us beneath all of those things a spiritual reality and truth that says this will improve your life, but beneath that is the stuff that really, really matters. And so he shifts this morning. And he says, let's talk about our words. And as he does this, he begins with a warning about our words. The first thing that he says is, not many of you should desire to be teachers. Now, this isn't a statement about the school system. Uh, what he's talking about here is he is talking about spiritual leaders who teach in the life of the church. And the first thing that he says is, we probably need less teachers, not more teachers. In fact, he says that there are some of you that, that either desire to be a teacher or that you already are a teacher who probably don't need to pursue that. Now, that's a strange thing for us to hear uh, because the reality is our church needs more teachers. Our church, we talk about uh, the, the Sunday school roles and the small group Bible studies. We, we, we could use five or six new teachers in the life of our church today. But James says, not many of you should seek to be teachers. Now, this is kind of working at cross purposes. But you have to understand that the role of teacher is a big deal in the life of a church. Uh, the role of teacher is the very way in which our faith is passed from one person to the next. In fact, in the Gospels, Jesus is called interchangeably rabbi and teacher. The, the same titles go back and forth. And so that's the position that we're talking about here as a person who teaches and helps person develop and grow in their faith. And yet the gospel or the word here says, not many of you should seek to be teachers. Now there is a draw to being a teacher. 
And maybe not for everybody. Uh, there are some of you that when we say, listen, we need some more teachers in the life of the church, you kind of slink down in your chair and you say, well, I hope he's not looking at me. I hope he doesn't think about me. I, I, don't, I don't really want to do that. But the reality is that there is a draw to being a teacher. Whether it's the teacher on Sunday morning at one of our worship services where you get to be on the platform, or whether it's a teacher in a classroom where you get to, to speak and everyone leans in to you, and if there's classroom discussion, you get the last word in that. There's a degree of honor that comes to those that teach, and so there's this draw and there is this pull. But, but James says, not many of you should desire to be teachers. Now, why is that? He says, because when you are a teacher, you will be judged more strictly. He says, be careful about the desire to be a teacher because you will be judged more carefully. Now, it's interesting that the passage actually doesn't tell us to be judged by who. So when you look at it and it says you will be judged more carefully, one of the things is that you will be judged more carefully by the people around you. And there's truth to that. If you are a person who teaches, if you are a pastor, if you are a leader in the life of the church, and you treat somebody wrong, or you lie, or you do harm to somebody, not only are they mad at you because you treated somebody wrong because you lied or you did harm to somebody, not only are they mad at you, but they turn it up to 11 because, and you're so-and-so over at the church. Haven't you found that to be true? There's a little bit of extra anger when, when someone feels like you've done something and you're so-and-so over at the church. And so there's part of this that there's just a reality that if you are a teacher, be careful if you're a teacher in the church, be careful because you will be judged more carefully by your friends and your neighbors and sometimes even people inside of the church. But really the weight of this is be careful about seeking after being a teacher because you will be judged more carefully by God, because to whom much is given, much is expected, because God is watching, because when we are a teacher inside of the church, we stand and we speak on behalf of God, and so when we speak in those ways, we better be saying the words that God would have us to speak. We should be speaking from the authority of His Word and not our own Word. And again, the way that the passage is kind of laid out here is this idea, you should not desire to be a teacher. And this is talking about some folks that are on the path that saying, well, listen, I hope somebody notices me. I hope I get invited. I hope I get the opportunity to be a teacher. I'd like to be one of the teachers one day. I think that would be a great way to live your life. I'd love to have that platform. I'd love to have that influence. And what James says is, listen, some of you that are striving and desiring for that role of teacher." You need to get off that path for now because you're not ready for that role. You're not ready for that increased accountability and judgment and expectation. And I think there's also a part of this that, that James is even saying that there might be some folks that already have the title or the position of teacher. And they need to sit down. They should not be a teacher in the house of God. They should not be speaking on behalf of God. They should not be interpreting the word of God for other people. And it may be that in your life, 
it's probably been true in my life that every once in a while I might look at somebody and say, oh no, they, they, they should not be a teacher. They should not be a spiritual leader. They should not be a proclaimer of the Word of God. They should not be a person who preaches and teaches the Word of God. Now, it's also possible that some of those same people might look at me and say, there's no way that guy should be a preacher and a teacher of the Word of God. What gives him the right to do that? He is unqualified for that. He shouldn't be teaching. And so it's really easy for me to point to somebody else and say, that person shouldn't be teaching. I'm trying to point over anybody's head in the room so that nobody gets... That, that, that person shouldn't be a teacher. That person should sit down. They don't have the right to do this. And at the same time, they point back, say at me, and say, he shouldn't do this. He's not qualified. He doesn't get it right. So who's supposed to sit down and who's supposed to stand up when it comes to teaching? Well, I think as we look at this whole passage of Scripture that we read this morning, I think that there are some triggers in here of who should sit down and not be a teacher. One is a person who does damage, particularly with their words. A person who does damage, it talks about the forest fires. And if you are a kind of person who can stand or sit in a room or stand in, in front of a, a congregation and teach the Word of God, and yet with your mouth you still do damage to people, then, then you need to sit down. Uh, the passage talks about an inconsistency with the Spirit of God. It, it talks about the two, uh, the two sources of the spring that comes up salt water and comes up fresh water. It, it comes up grapes. It comes up olives and says, listen, these things don't match. And so who should sit down as a teacher? Who's not qualified as a teacher according to the Word of God? It's somebody whose life does not match their message. There's a person who is one person in, in church and another person outside of church. But one person who, who, who talks about one thing and lives another thing. So a person who does damage a person whose life is inconsistent with the work of the Spirit. I think as we look at the book of James, I think it would be a person who lacks discipline. Remember what it said in chapter 1, verses 19 through 21? It said, be slow to speak, slow to anger. I think that's a statement of a lack of discipline. That, that I just because I feel it, I say it, I do it, I blurt it out. And while that is a natural tendency inside of our lives, those are things that need to become disciplined in our lives. And I think that the church of God, the ministry of the kingdom, it is harmed when we give platform to people who do not have discipline with their words. The passage continues at the end of the chapter, and it talks about one of the pools that, that ministry sometimes comes out of, one of the pools that our words come out of, is selfish ambition and jealousy. I think if a person stands before you, leads you in a class, seeks to have a voice spiritually in your life, and they... And they do damage with their words. They're inconsistent. 
with the Spirit of God, they're undisciplined in their words, or they are driven by selfish ambition. James says, listen, if that's what's in your heart, then you need to get off the path of being a teacher. And if you are a teacher of the things of God, and that's true in your life, then you need to sit down until the Spirit of God has corrected and fixed some of those things inside of your life. And it may be a season where you're not qualified to teach. Or it may be that as much as you like the collection of knowledge, as much as you like being the instructor, as much as you like the platform, as much as you like having the last word, as much as you like people looking at you and considering you the expert, maybe the church isn't the place where you're supposed to do that. Maybe that's supposed to unfold someplace else. And so James says that we have a warning about our words and in terms of being the people who speak into the life of the church. Now, I would say very quickly, and it may be too late for very quickly, uh, but, but I would say on the side that there is also a truth to this outside of the life of the church. There's a parallel truth that if you have been given influence, authority, power, position, you too are held to account for how you use that platform, that power, that influence, that responsibility that you have been given, whether you are a supervisor at work, whether you're a leader at your school, whatever it may be, there is an obligation on your part to say, this is how I've used the position of prominence. And so we want to make sure that we don't do damage with that. We want to make sure that we don't drive out of selfish ambition, and that we don't want to be inconsistent with the Spirit, and we don't want to lack discipline in our lives and how we use the influence and the position that God has given every single one of us. That's a word, a warning about my words. But I would also tell you that James is giving us here a reality about my words. It's interesting, he, he, he opens the chapter by talking about teachers, and then almost without being able to identify the exact spot, he just begins to talk about a universal reality. It's not just teachers that have problems with words. The reason why teachers have difficulty with words or their tongue is because all of us have difficulty with words or tongues. In fact, he says, listen, if you want to just check and see where you are on your perfection scale, you know, anyone who thinks that they're perfect, just check your words. He says, because if you've actually managed to get perfection in your words, well, then you're probably doing pretty good. But most of us, we don't have to go very far, very, very many paragraphs back in our life before we're convicted about some of the words that we've said. And so James uses several pictures in this passage. It's really interesting. Sometimes we look at Scripture and we see illustrations and we see topics that are like, well, I don't even know what that's about. That was, that was 2,000 years old. But in this passage, James talks about the influence of the tongue. He talks about forest fires. Well, I mean, that's, that's straight from the news today. 
forest fires that start as a small fire and, and consume an entire forest. That, that hasn't changed at all. He talks about the power of a horse. You know how powerful a horse is? They named horsepower after a horse. I, I thought about bringing in a horse this morning and trying to demonstrate my horsepower versus a horse's horsepower. And I, and I thought that we would just put the, the horse right here and I would just show you how hard it would be to push the horse out of the way. But then I remembered we have new carpet, so we didn't, we didn't do that. Other than that, I had a horse on speed dial. <laughs> Careful with your tongue. Um, <laughs> but it's hard to move. And he even talks about ships that are steered by rudders. How many of you are cruise people, or at least you used to be cruise people, loving to go on those cruises? Those ships today, they're entire cities. And I'm like, well, I wonder how they steer those things today, because James was talking about there was this rudder that kind of does things, and, it, and the wind blows it, but it's the rudder that changes all things. Like, well, I, mean, I wonder how they've changed all that today. You know what it is? It's a rudder. It's the same kind of thing. There is this reality that your words make an immense amount of difference. And he talks about your words being like that fire that can start an entire forest fire. Forest fire. And how destructive and damaging those words can be. In fact, James gets a little bit sharp here with his words because already you're kind of thinking, wow, you know, a little fire that started a forest fire. How would you like to be the person who started one of these million-acre forest fires? You did it by a mistake. You didn't even know you were doing it. But but something that you did caused it. It would be devastating. And so James says, listen, sometimes our words are like little flames that start entire forest fires. But, but James drills down on that, and he begins to call our words evil, and he calls them unrighteousness, and he says they come from the spirit of hell. I think what he wants us to know here is that our words can do damage. Do you hear that? Forest fires from the pit of hell. That's what he says that our tongue can do. Now, he also points out the power of controlling your tongue. He, he, he talks about the bit inside of the mouth of the horse so that while you may come and you may put all of your energy and try to move that horse and, and push that horse along, if that horse don't feel like moving, it's not going to move. But you put that bit in his mouth, connected to those reins, and a decent horse person can just tug just, just a little bit. And by controlling that tongue, controlling that mouth, that horse is going to be directed in a completely different way, directed in the way that the rider wants the horse to go. And that giant cruise ship that has two separate area codes, there's a person at the wheel who can turn that wheel and that giant ship turns because a small device 
of connection. I think when we think about this in terms of church, one of the things that James is still talking about, he says, listen, be careful about your teachers. Your teachers are going to be held to a higher accountability. But he says, church, I'm talking to you. And what he says is, listen, if you want to redirect the church, redirect the church's words. If you want to change the church, change what the church is talking about. If you want to change your family, change what your family talks about. If you want to change your workplace, if you want to change your friend group, change the topic of conversation. Don't let outside forces set the tone and the agenda of our conversation. If you want to move the ship, change the rudder, which is change what you're talking about. If you want to limit the damage, be careful with your tongue. If you want to redirect a powerful, a powerful horse, change the topic. Change the words. I think we need to spend a little bit more time having accountability not just for our words, but also for our topics. I would say to you that the flip side of this is if we spend our entire week under a shower of other people's words, media, other folks, that's moving our life. That bit's in your mouth. You're being steered by the words that are just overflowing, pouring all over you. This morning, I talked a little bit about Hope Sunday and saying I believe that we, we are living at a world record height of discouragement today. I'll tell you the reason why I believe we're at the world record height of discouragement is because we have nothing but discouraging negative words that are showered over us 24-7. And sometimes we pay a monthly check to have those words pour over our life. There's a reality about my words. If we will change what we talk about, we will set our own topics then we can steer in a completely different direction. Change the conversation, and you'll change the organism. Change the conversation in our church so that we are pursuing the things of God, the conversations at your house, conversations at the water cooler, online, wherever it is that you're having. I think sometimes the words that are pouring all over us make us better politicians than it makes us better disciples. We're supposed to be better disciples, pursuing the priorities and the patterns and the purposes of God. There's a reality about the influence of our words. He also gives us a solution to my words. He gives us a solution to my words as the last part of the passage 
uh, here, what he talks about here, is he, he talks about the source. He says you're either you're either drawing up from salt brackish water, or you're drawing up from fresh water. And sometimes we think, well, I'm doing a little bit of both. No, 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 no. Your, your, your source is one or the other. Years ago, we went to a little cabin. Kids were out playing. Had all the, it was just a place, a little pond, get to go hang out. And uh, we had some big old thing of bubbles, you know, bubbles. Are you with me? I, I can stop as soon as I need to. And it was too big of a bottle to give the kids. And so Susan poured out part of that bottle into a cup and just set it over here. But it was a hot day. And somebody in the house came by. Oh, there's some cold water right there. Grabbed hold of that and with vigor and enthusiasm drank that down. It wasn't water. And it wasn't good. Man, your source, it makes a difference. And this isn't, this is where I mean like, listen, the self-help just says, listen, be careful with your words. Speak nicer. You use better words. Be, be kind with your words. That's, that's, that's the to-do level. That, that's just try to be a better person level. But James never stops there. He says, listen, this is the surface issue. But beneath the surface issue is, what is your source? Is it the fresh water, the living water of Jesus? Or is it the salty water of this world? He continues, and he talks about either pursuing the selfish ambition or meekness. Some of this is connected back to the teachers. Are, are you here just to serve as needed? Not pushing yourself to the front? Or is your agenda to be noticed and paid attention to and important to everybody else? He says in verse 17, he says, but wisdom from above is first pure, then is peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Are those the things that are your source? The more that we feed on the wisdom that is above, that's pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, the more we feed on that, the more the natural outflow of your words will be peaceable and right and good and just and will build people up. Let's think this morning about how this applies to our lives and what this means uh, for us. The challenge that I give to you is just, how's your words? It's pretty simple. Are they true? Are they helpful? Are they full of grace? Do they build people up? Do I mean them? For years, one of my 
opening words in marriage counseling is listen, one of the things that you need to know is don't say things you don't mean. Don't say it to win the argument. But is it truthful? Is it from love? Is it going to build up? Do you really mean them? How about the words that I swim in this week? Are they true? Are they helpful? After I've listened to these words for 15 minutes, what's happened to my heart? Have these words pushed me closer to the things of God? Or have they stirred up things inside of me that are more from that brackish font than of that fresh water? And then what adjustments do I need to make? Sometimes I come and say, okay, this week, you know, what, what adjustments do I need to make this week? And, and I came to this this morning and I thought, this isn't a this week kind of application. It is this life. And I know we got to start with this week. But controlling and having discipline over and reflecting the Spirit of God in our lives. That is a core attribute of a follower of Jesus. Our words should be one of the first things people notice about us. Our ability to bless, to love, and to care for people. Man, one of the first things people are going to know about you and one of the last things they're going to remember about you is your words. What do your words smell like? What do they taste like? Where do they take people? What good do they do? Our words matter. Whether you're a leader in the church or simply a follower of Jesus, our words matter. Let's pray.